Welcome to Holistic Accountant Podcast, where we aim to showcase how adopting a holistic approach in accounting and tax maximizes value for clients. Beyond traditional tasks like preparing financial statements and tax returns, a holistic accountant focuses on offering advice that maximizes personal wealth on an after-tax basis. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rating and sharing it with those who might also benefit. And to ensure you stay updated, subscribe to our weekly email. The link is in the show notes. Okay, today Mina and I would like to talk about family trusts. Uh, often you read about family trusts and people don't really understand what they are and, and how to use them and whether they should be using them. We often get questions about them, whether the person's starting a business or want to acquire some investments, including property or something like that. So we thought we'd start by just giving you a a really good overview of some of the considerations and some of the factors around uh, family trusts uh, and when to when to use them. Now, of course, it's going to depend on your own individual circumstances and, of course, you need to go and get your own specific advice, but hopefully this gives you a, a really good entree into better understanding what trusts are and how to use them and their benefits and so forth. So let's start right there. What is a trust? Uh, essentially, a trust is not a separate legal entity. All it is is just an agreement to hold assets on behalf of a group of beneficiaries or could be one one beneficiary. The agreement sets out what the trust can and can't do and the reasons for the, the, the fact that the trust is in place. And that's called a trust deed. Uh, so every trust will have a trust deed. And because it's not a legal entity, every trust needs to have a trustee. And that trustee needs to be a legal entity. So that's typically either an individual or a group of individuals or a, a corporation, or it could be a combination of those those things. Now, the trustee doesn't own any of the assets of the trust. The trustees, the only role of the trustee is to hold those assets on behalf of the trust because they need to be in a... a a legal entity's name, uh, and then deal with those assets according to what the trustee says. You can contribute into or, or and pull out of capital out of a trust without any restrictions. So unlike a company where uh, if you want to, you know, if the, it sells shares, it, it needs to buy back the shares, it can be quite um, finicky. Or with super, you know, there's rules around contributing, withdrawing from super, Trusts, trusts are a little bit different. That They uh, are quite flexible in terms of how much you want to put in and take out. Now, of course, if you need to sell assets to take money out and that crystallizes uh, capital gains or anything like that, of course, you need to consider that. But in terms of putting money in and out, there, there's no problem there. And the final thing I would say is that um, no one really owns the assets of a trust. Essentially, they're held for the benefit of the, the beneficiaries, but until the trustee makes an election to distribute funds or allocate funds to a particular beneficiary, no one really owns the money. So it can be sort of a, a good asset protection thing as well. So let's work through a couple of pros and cons about family trusts. So unlike companies, profits need to be distributed. They can't be retained or they can be retained, but you'll be paying 45 cents on the dollar. So if your beneficiaries are already at high marginal tax rates, it could be somewhat tax ineffective or ineffective, I should say. Yep. But it could also be an opportunity because if you've got beneficiaries who are at much lower tax rates, you can actually disperse those funds to multiple beneficiaries to, to utilise their lower tax rates, which may be quite lower than a company. 
Now, with regards to property, it's not always the best vehicle for uh, property purchases. Um, the reason being is the negative gearing losses are trapped in the trust. You can't apply them to your personal income. Also, the land tax is generally higher in most states in, in, in family trusts. With, with regards to asset protection, if you have a corporate trustee, it, it generally provides the same level of asset protection as, as a company. It allows you, one of the big uh, pros of family trust, it allows you to transfer wealth to future generations. So you can, you can um, distribute to a corporate beneficiary or if it's a testamentary trust, for example, you can just keep the profits in there investing and, and distribute to, to, to miners at preferential tax rates, whilst the overall portfolio improves in value. Yeah, so the the best way to really think about of a trust is a it's like a pool of assets, and you can then decide who gets the income and capital from year to year. So it's very flexible. Whereas you think about other structures, if you own things in personal name, it's got to come to you all the capital gains and income. If it's a company, whoever owns the shares has to get the cap capital and income through dividends and so forth. So they're a lot less flexible structures. So that's really the greater benefit of, of trust is I can make those distributions. The asset protection thing is good as well because, as I said, that no one's entitled to the assets until the trustee says, uh, although the asset protection is weaker from a, a family court matter, so a relationship breakdown and so forth. The, the family court will look beyond the, the, the family trust to understand it's part of the pool of assets, generally speaking, so it doesn't protect you there, but certainly from creditors and so forth. I just wanted to expand on the property element because quite often or quite often we get people saying, well, I'm going to invest in property, I'm going to do it through a trust. And you ask people, well, what brought you there? What, why did you decide to trust? And they don't really, they don't really know why. Uh, typically, we won't have our clients invest in property using a trust. There's two negatives and one positive with using a trust. The two negatives is, Mina said, negative gearing is trapped inside the trust. Sure, you can carry it forward, but a dollar saved today is much better than a dollar saved in 25 years from now. And the other negative is land tax. You know, land tax, depending on which state you're in, can be substantially higher in a trust name than in individual names. The positive is that if we come to sell the property maybe in 10 or 20 years' time, we'll probably, well, if we've done well, hopefully we'll generate a huge capital gain. And the benefit at that point will be we can distribute that capital gain hopefully to lots of different beneficiaries if we've got retired self-funded parents or siblings or children that are adults by that stage you know we can then share that capital gains tax liability across a whole bunch of individuals and therefore pay less tax now the problem though when you do the numbers is that the negative gearing and the lower land tax is well worth a lot more than the ability to distribute the capital gain. And for that reason, then, you're much better off not putting property in a trust. You're better off having property in personal names, particularly if you've got um, borrowings against that asset. Trusts are also uh, really good for share investing because it allows you to stream uh, Frankie credits if your trustee allows it. It's important to look at your trustee to make sure it allows uh, streaming provision. So... What that means is basically it allows you to stream certain franking credits to individuals, certain capital gains to individuals, and what we call um, other income or other non-primary production income to certain individuals. So what that allows you to do, for example, is if I've crystallised a huge capital loss in my personal name, but in my trust I've got a um, capital gain for a sale of shares, I can elect to distribute that capital gain to, to me personally to utilise that capital gain. And then, for example, I can then distribute my the franked income 
um, to my wife who may be at a lower tax rate and I could actually end up with some tax refunds as a result of those franking credits. How romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in terms of an investment vehicle, family trusts are are a a great vehicle. Yeah, so there you go. We're, family trusts are good vehicles, Mina said. Typically, if you're in business, we'd want business income streamed through a, a family trust at some point some point in the structure. Uh, and then to invest in shares, it's also a great vehicle. As Mina elaborated, you know, in terms of sharing that capital gains tax, easier to do with a share portfolio because I can progressively sell down. And potentially, if it's in a family trust, I can distribute it to a few individuals. I might be able to get away with not paying any capital gains tax, whereas the downside with property is it's a lumpy asset. It's The capital gain is going to be huge anyway. And if we can spread it across 10 people, sure, it will save a little bit of money, but it's unlikely and the negatives uh, outweigh the, the positives with respect to property. Hopefully that gives you a bit of an intro to uh, trusts. We'll include a link to a presentation, a webinar that we did uh, a year or so ago uh, that goes into greater detail. If you want to check that out, the link is in the show notes. Until next week, bye for now.